morning again. Morning, Brian. I haven't heard you say good morning yet. If you take your Bibles, uh, please turn to Luke chapter 4. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, uh, expositionally preaching verse by verse. And last week we looked at Luke chapter 4 from verse 14 to verse 30. We looked at the, the background of the Lord's teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth. And of course the strange response and the misconceptions of the people of Nazareth towards Jesus. But today we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verse 31 to 44, and we're going to be looking at another response to Jesus as he goes to another city. So if you would read with me from verse 31 to verse 44. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done with him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Verse 42. And when it was day, he departed. And went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Well, let's pray before we study the word together. Lord, thank you that we can sing these songs that remind us, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that you are worthy of all of our praise. Lord, we do live in a broken world, and we see the effects of it. We see people suffering with this coronavirus. We see people fearful. We see people anxious. We see the economy struggling. We see people struggling even in their job situations. Lord, we do, the, we do really see the, the results of this fallen and broken world around us. Lord, we pray this morning as we study your word, Lord, that you would help us to see eternity here in these pages, that you would help us to see that you do have all authority in heaven and on earth, and that you will one day return and every knee 
and every tongue will declare you the king of kings and every every person will give an account so i pray lord that you would speak to our hearts this morning that you would open our eyes to the truths that are here that we may face the world in front of us throughout this week and that we would leave joyful and we would leave prepared and equipped to be able to tell the good news to those around us about our wonderful savior jesus christ so please teach us this now as we study together may your spirit speak to us even though it is through this electronic medium we pray father that your word would not fall to the ground and that we would pay attention to what the spirit is teaching us all today in jesus name we ask amen For those of you in the military or connected to the military in, in some way, will be able to relate to the story. In South Africa, we used to have compulsory military service. So as soon as you finished high school, you were called up by the army to serve for a compulsory term of two years. And my senior year at high school was the last year to be called up for this compulsory military term. So as you can imagine, there was a lot of discussion amongst this um, with my friends at school and many of my friends shared their concerns others were excited others were planning ways to avoid the conscription but there was one conversation I will never forget after being asked what everyone's plans were this one young man answered I'm looking forward to going to the army because then I don't have to live with my parents anymore and I don't have to listen to anybody telling me what to do anymore. Well, clearly this young man didn't understand authority. <laughs> he obviously had problems with authority. And for some reason he thought that he would escape it by, by going to the army. I'm sure he learned the hard way. Our text this morning is about authority. Our text is about God's authority. It's a passage about God's sovereignty. It's a passage about Jesus' power. And from the outset of this gospel, Luke wants to establish the point that Jesus Christ is in authority. He is the, the Lord over all. And after showing us how Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth, Luke doesn't want anyone to get the mistaken idea that Jesus is not Lord. So he walks us through a, a Sabbath day with Jesus, showing us how he preached the word, how he cast out demons, and how he healed the sick with authority. So he wants us to see that because Jesus is Lord over all, we should submit to him, we should obey him, and we should serve to further his purpose. So my first point this morning is in verse 31 and verse 32, teaching with authority in Jesus' ministry. Look at verse 31 and verse 32. They begin with a summary of Jesus' teaching ministry in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. His teachings resulted in amazement on the part of his audience, not unlike the initial response of the people of Nazareth. Look at verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. What is it that distinguished our Lord's teaching from that of the scribes and the Pharisees? 
and made his teaching authoritative. We know that this wasn't the case with the, the, the Pharisees. But the Gospels do not really tell us what it was about Jesus' teaching that caused it to stand apart. It was clearly vastly superior to anybody else that was, was teaching at that time. And the difference does not seem to be a matter of style. I think the difference was more about the substance, what exactly was being preached. If you just look back just a few verses to the passage that we studied last week, you'll see something of his authority captured there. He reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He says in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and verse 19, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he closes the book and he gives it back to the attendant. And he sits down and with all eyes fixed on him, he says in, in verse 21, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It would have been electric, wouldn't it? There's a total contrast to the rabbis. Now the typical uh, rabbinic teaching would have been to read the passage and then begin to cite rabbi after rabbi and his opinion about the, what that passage meant. Well, Rabbi so-and-so said it meant this, and Rabbi so-and-so said it meant that. And the convocation of these rabbis said it meant this. And here's Jesus declaring the meaning of the, the Word of God and centering that meaning on Himself, on His person and His work. That was His message. So the difference between Jesus' teaching and the rest was the same as as hearing the author of a book speak about his book, and then, of course, hearing another person speak about the same book. Very different. But Jesus' teaching was very authoritative. And they were astonished at his teachings. The question I want to ask you at this point is, how do we respond to the teachings of Jesus? Do you recognize that it is authoritative? Luke will make it clear in this passage that his teaching is not teaching to be dismissed by anyone, no matter who they are. Not by a philosopher, not by professors, not by demons, not by anyone. So how do you respond to the, to the teaching of God's word? How do you respond to the, to the teaching of Jesus? Our second point is in verse 33 and verse, to verse 37 casting out demons with authority in Jesus' ministry. We see in verse 33, the authority Jesus had to cast out these demons. It starts there. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. 
from a general statement about authority, Luke moves to a very specific incident which illustrates his point here. And on that Sabbath day, Jesus having taught the, the word of God with authority, he now encounters a man who is possessed by a demon. This is the first instance of demonic possession in Luke's gospel. It is also the first report of a miracle being performed on the Sabbath. In fact, almost all of the recorded instances of demonic possession in the Bible occur in the day of Jesus and the apostles. There are a few references to demonic activity in the Old Testament, in the book of Samuel and, and the book of Kings. But nothing compared to what is happening here in the ministry of Jesus. It's especially during the ministry of Jesus, his public ministry, that this activity of demons is really highlighted. It's almost as if Satan, knowing that the king has come into this world has gathered all of his minions into one place at, at one time to unleash their, their fury upon sinful humanity, to perhaps to try and even stop the work that, that Jesus is about to do. Well, this one man has an unclean demon, the Bible says. And when Jesus encounters the man before before Jesus speaks, the, the demon speaks to Jesus and immediately identifies Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. And he asks the question, have you come to destroy us? Now that's an interesting use of plural, isn't it? It wasn't just one, he's talking about us. And then he identifies who Jesus really is. You are the Holy One of God. Now notice that this first affirmation of Jesus being the Christ comes from a demon. It comes from a demon. Satan had been told at the time of the fall of Adam and Eve, of course where Satan was instrumental in, that his head would be crushed by the heel of the, the seed of the woman. We see that in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And Satan knew that when Messiah came, it would spell his destruction, his demise. And that is why the demon so quickly raised the question of why Jesus was, what he was doing there in the synagogue. Had he come to destroy Satan? What was the purpose of Jesus' teaching in the synagogue? What was going on? Satan could not figure out the game plan of, of our Lord. And not realizing that Jesus would crush his head by means of his substitutionary death on the cross, Satan could not understand what was happening here. And the demon was demanding to know what was going on. And Jesus would not carry on a conversation with this demon. Notice that. He refused to entertain this demon. He would not dignify the demon by giving it further occasion to, to even speak and to manifest its wicked nature. And so Jesus rebukes the demon and commands it to be silent and to come out of the man. We see everyone around gets the point. Look at what is said in verse 38. They were amazed. They were amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Luke is showing his showing us the authority and the power 
of Jesus Christ even over the demonic world. He teaches with authority and he exercises authority even over the, demo- the, the demons. And when Jesus spoke, the demons listened and they obeyed. Remember the author's intent. Luke is once again showing Theophilus and all of us who Jesus really is. Jesus really is the Christ. He really is the Messiah. He really is the the promised deliverer. And as a result of this incident in the synagogue, Jesus' reputation was spread abroad. Everybody got to hear about this. And reports of this event and, and many others that Jesus did preceded Jesus to other parts of the land. And they also brought many people to him for healing which we see in the the next section. Our third point in verse 38 to verse 41, healing with authority in Jesus' ministry. It tells us, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Again, Luke is drawing our attention to Jesus' authority. But his authority even over Sickness, his healing power here. Jesus' power is manifested here in this healing. Notice in verse 38, it tells us, he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. This Simon is is Peter, okay? This is Simon Peter, who we know as, as Peter, the apostle. So Jesus leaves the synagogue, he goes to Peter's home, and Peter is married here, okay? Notice that, he's married because he has a mother-in-law. You can't have a mother-in-law unless you are married, okay? So Peter's married, and he goes to his mother-in-law's house, and she is suffering from a high fever. On her behalf, they appeal to Jesus to heal her. The other accounts in Matthew and and Mark, they they focus on on the physical touching or the taking of the hand of this woman, but Luke emphasizes the word He emphasizes the word of rebuke that is spoken to the fever. Once again, it is the word of the Lord which is powerful. Mark tells you that Simon's mother-in-law had a fever, but Luke, who is the physician, tells us a little more. He tells us that she had a high fever. And he uses this technical medical language because he is a doctor. In other words, he's identifying this as a, as a particular dangerous and perhaps life-threatening fever. And then Luke tells us that Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever. Now, how do you rebuke a fever? I'm sure many people are wondering, maybe we can use this technique in, in, in trying to solve the coronavirus problem. How do you rebuke a fever? What does the Bible say about that? Well, you don't, okay? Nobody can rebuke a fever. Only 
the king of kings can rebuke a fever. Only if you've created a body can you rebuke a fever. None of us have done that. Only the Son of God can rebuke a fever. If you're not the Holy One of, of Israel, or you don't have this power and authority that, that Jesus, the Son of God, has, you cannot rebuke a fever. But Jesus does. He rebukes his fever, and it leaves her. It leaves her instantly. It was instant, and it was complete. Notice that. Now, unlike these, these, these false healers today, this healing was instant, and it was complete. And then I love what Luke tells us here. As soon as she's well, she gets up and she begins to serve them straight away. There's a clear demonstration of her healing here. This is obviously a woman of, of godly Christian hospitality. And the moment she's well, she uses her health to serve the Lord. She begins to serve the disciples that are gathered in the company of her home. But of course, now the word is out, and many others with various diseases, Luke tells us, bring their, their sick to him, and he lays his hands on them, and, and every one of them is healed. Additionally, we're told that demons came out of many at the same time when Jesus was there. Now, this is important. Notice that Luke does not ascribe all sickness to demonic activity. There are some who are sick and have diseases and need to be healed. And there are others who are possessed by demons and perhaps have physical manifestations of that. And what they need is for the demons to be cast out. And Jesus does both. And he does it to everyone who's there. He doesn't just do it to Christians. He does it to believers. He does it to unbelievers as well. And once again, as the demons come out, they acknowledge, you are the Son of God. Now, isn't it fascinating that that twice now as Jesus encounters the demon in this man who was possessed by an unclean spirit, and as Jesus encounters these demons while he's healing the people with various diseases at Simon Peter's house, isn't it interesting that the demons recognize who he is? In the last passage, after Jesus proclaims from the scroll of Isaiah that he is the one who has come to proclaim, to release the captives free, and the response of the people in Nazareth was what? Oh, oh um, isn't, he, isn't he Joseph's boy, the carpenter's son? But notice the response of the demons here. The demons proclaim, you are Christ. You are the son of God. Two completely different responses. It will take Peter all the way until Caesarea to give testimony to the person of Christ as clear as these demons did. Doesn't that speak, folks? Doesn't it tell us how spiritually blind we can be sometimes to the truth that is right in front of our eyes? And as only Jesus can exercise dominion over demons, and as only Jesus can rebuke a fever, so also Jesus can open the eyes of the blind. Perhaps you have been praying for some family member for years and years and years. Don't give up. Keep praying and keep believing that, keep believing that Jesus is able, that God is able. And pray 
that even our eyes would, would open to behold him as he, he truly is. So that we will serve him as he deserves to be served. So that those who do not know him will submit to him as he deserves to be honored and glorified as the son of God. But there's something else here, folks, that we need to think about as the demons acknowledge Jesus as the son of God. You see, the sad thing is that they, they knew who Jesus was. But they did not love him or worship him. They obeyed him, but they didn't love him or worship him. They knew exactly who he is, but they did not treasure him. They didn't trust him. They knew exactly who he is, but they did not put their, their faith in him, and they did not follow him. And I wonder if there are people amongst us who have been going to church their whole lives. Perhaps they've even been to catechism classes. Perhaps they've even been baptized or they went to vacation Bible school and went to Sunday school and have grown up under the, the preaching of the word and they know all the right answers. They speak Christianese. They speak the, the Christian language very well. But they do not love him. And they do not trust him. And they do not follow him. And they do not put their, their faith in him. And they do not treasure him. And they do not worship him. And what a tragedy it would be to know that, that God has granted you this privilege to be given the truth that God in his mercy has showered upon you for, for generations. And you do not love him in response. You do not believe in him and trust in him and treasure him. Mahatma Gandhi he wrote in his biography something which smacked me in between my eyes when I read it a few years ago. And it was really related to what we're looking at here. He spoke forcefully to Christians. He said, you know, you Christians have in your keeping a document with enough dynamite in it to blow the whole of civilization to bits, to turn society upside down to bring peace to this war-torn world. But you read it as if it were just good literature and nothing else. And folks, does the knowledge that you have in the Scriptures make you love truth, make you love Christ, make you love His righteousness? Or is this good, just good literature? Something you, you've done because that's part of your tradition. Does the knowledge that you have of Scripture make you hate sin? Does the knowledge of Christ that you have make you trust Him and, and love Him? Does the knowledge of God's will that you have make you to say with the psalmist, How I love to do your law, O Lord! Knowledge that does not lead to trust and faith and love and service is just knowledge that will eventually just puff you up and make you proud and eventually condemn you if you're not willing to submit to it.
Do not leave the, the precious truths that are proclaimed to us from God's word. Embrace these truths with all that you, you have in the very depths of your heart and, and love and trust and believe and follow the Savior. What James will be saying in your ears as he did in the ears of the, the unbelieving one who claimed to be a believer. Remember in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And shudder. We don't need to tremble, folks. We need to trust. Don't fear him with a, with a worldly fear. Have faith in him. Believe on Christ as he's offered in the gospel. Acknowledge him to be your Messiah, the Son of God, your Savior. And so far, Luke has, has shown us in the power, he's shown us the authority of Jesus in three specific ways. In his teaching, by healing people of diseases, and then thirdly, by delivering people of demons. Now he's proving us one last time the priority of his ministry. And that's what we're going to look at as we bring this together. As we bring this together. Look at verse 42, the priority of Jesus' ministry. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. It would seem that Jesus performed healings throughout that night, throughout the whole night. And the people began to arrive at sundown. And, and Jesus is now said to depart to a, to a lonely place when, when the day came. And so early on the next morning when he had killed all who were present, Jesus slips away in order to pray. And Luke does not specifically mention prayer here in this passage. But Mark does in his gospel. And later in chapter 5, Luke describes the, the prayer life of our Lord. So that was recorded for us. But he himself would, would often slip away into the wilderness and, and he would pray. But it was not long before the crowds, they eventually found the Lord. And when they realized that he was leaving them, they, unlike the people of Nazareth, they, the Nazareth, they, they sought to keep him in their midst. They wanted him to stay. And the reasons, I think, are, are, are fairly obvious, and, not, and they're not all that commendable. Now, who would want such a, such a healer to, to leave them? And the people of Capernaum are very similar to the people of Nazareth. Now, both wanted a, a miracle-working Messiah who would, who would do their bidding, and neither really sensed their, their own sin and their, their need for repentance. And I think it's the same as today. Now, there are many in churches today who know that Jesus is the Son of God, yet have not submitted to Him. And there are many in churches today who believe in Jesus as a, as a miracle worker or as a, as a great teacher, but not as a Savior and Lord. Now, these people are no better than those who immediately and openly reject Jesus for who He is. But Jesus responded to their appeals to to stay by referring to his calling, to his priorities. He says to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent with this purpose. 
Jesus knew what he had been called to do. Just as Isaiah's prophecy read by our Lord in the synagogue at Nazareth emphasized the importance of proclamation, Jesus is stressing the priority of proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. I think this here is a missionary mandate. Not only does Jesus view preaching as having priority to, to miracles, he also views it as necessary for him to preach throughout Israel, not just in a few places, all throughout. And so the final verse informs us that Jesus kept on preaching in Judea, not just in Galilee. One commentator said, from this verse we can glean a rich theology of mission according to Jesus. I think he's right. There really is a rich theology of missions right here, according to Jesus. I want us, what I want us to notice is that Jesus wanted the good news of the kingdom of God to be proclaimed to everybody. Not just some people, but to everybody. We have a responsibility to communicate the gospel to everybody. Not just some people. We have a responsibility to share the good news of the, the power and the authority of, of Jesus. We have the responsibility to let people know that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, that He is the promised deliverer. I'm not saying you have to be a missionary or you have to be a preacher or a pastor. You may not be called to do that. But folks, we all live here and work here in this community. And God has brought us here to the, to the UAE for a reason. Even for such a time as this. Especially in our current circumstance that we find ourselves with the coronavirus. We have a responsibility to let unbelievers around us know that there is hope, that there is peace, that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And folks, the dangers out there are real. And I hope you've seen that. People are dying. Our bodies are mortal. Our, our bodies are vulnerable. But our souls, for those united to a resurrected Christ, we are beyond the dangers of this mortal life. Our hope is not in this world. We thank God for that. You know, our kids have been told to, to wash their hands for 20 seconds. Why? Well, the teachers won't tell them, but it's because there is a dangerous virus infecting thousands of people around the world right now. Both young people and old people. And some of those people will be infected and perhaps die. Many have. Heaven and hell are, are staring every nine-year-old in the face. As well as every 19-year-old. As well as every 39-year-old. As well as every 59-year-old. Now people, for the first time, perhaps in a very long time, have had to face the reality of their mortal bodies. And they've had to ask themselves this question, am I ready to die? And we have an opportunity here, folks. We have an opportunity to tell our kids about the authority and the power of Jesus. And to point them to the hope that we have, not to fear, not to panic. We have an opportunity to tell our neighbors and our friends 
and our work colleagues who are gripped in fear to embrace the reality of eternity by embracing Jesus Christ. We use these opportunities that the Lord has given to us. And the reality is, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the, the promised Messiah. He has conquered sin and death, and He has all authority in heaven and earth, and no infected molecule can enter your lungs or your three-year-old's lungs unless sent by the hand of our heavenly Father. If you have repented of your sins and you have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can face eternity with all confidence and all hope. God is your heavenly Father, and you can go to Him. You can sit with Him. His arm is around us, stronger than ever, even right now. Hebrews tells us that Jesus experienced all the horrors of this world, minus sin, of course. And the scriptures are telling us that Jesus knows. He knows. Way down deep, He knows what it feels like for, for life to close in on us and for our world to go into a meltdown. But for those of us who are united to a, a resurrected Christ, we are beyond the reach of eternal danger. We are in Christ. Be at peace. All is assured. I hope you have this assurance today. And at times of public panic force us to align our professed belief with our actual belief, isn't it? And we all say we believe God is sovereign and He's taking care of us. But we reveal our true trust when the, when the world goes into a meltdown, isn't it? What is really our heart's deepest loyalty? And the answer is forced to the surface in times of public alarm like, like this, such as what we're going through right now. And if you do not have this assurance and peace that comes from a saving knowledge and a saving relationship with Jesus, then, then the chances are you still need to submit to the authority and the power and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Please don't leave this question unanswered. Don't leave it until it is too late. The scriptures tell us it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Please reach out to us. Reach out to your home group leader. Send us an email. Let us show you from God's word how you can have this assurance. If you are a genuine believer, let me leave you with this this morning. I encourage you to embrace the opportunities that the Lord is giving us to share the good news with others. Now, one pastor friend of mine said to me this week that perhaps this coronavirus could be a means to a, a great awakening or a, a great revival. And I think he, he's correct. For a Christian, these are exciting times to learn to, to live out our profession of faith amongst a world that is in need of hope, isn't it? When the economy is, is tanking, we have opportunities to surprise our neighbors with, with the confidence and the joy that we have because of the gospel. Now is the time to reach out to our neighbors, to be loving them more, to be hospitable, 
more. And love stands out strongest when it is least expected, but when it is needed the most. So do what Jesus has asked us to do. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel wherever you are. And if you're not good at sharing the gospel, invite people to your house church. Invite them to your home group so that they can hear the good news of the gospel. There is a world dying out there, folks, that needs this gospel. May the Lord use this crisis to, to stamp eternity on our eyeballs. And may His sovereignty and authority bring all of us joy and peace and love that we need to reflect and proclaim the good news to others around us in need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful, encouraging passage that has come at such a, a timely place where we find ourselves, Lord. Lord, and I've just been preaching verse by verse, and I never planned this message for today, but it is just so relevant for us, Lord. We need to be reminded that you have all authority, that all power is yours. And thank you for showing us in your word how you display that authority and that you are indeed the Christ, the Messiah who has come to save us from our sins. And in a world around us that is frantically looking for answers and doing everything they can to live longer and prolong their, their, their healthy status, help us to point them to Christ. Help us, help us to show them the reality of eternity. It's not just so much about their physical status that is important, but their spiritual status. Help us to show them that we have a Savior, that we have a Redeemer who has all authority in heaven and in earth and has conquered death. He has conquered sin and He offers us freedom and forgiveness because of what he's done for us on the cross of Calvary. So Lord, please take your word. Take your word that's been preached to us this morning and burn it in our hearts. Burn it on our eyeballs that we will be faithful with it in telling others the good news. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.